Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Neglected Podcast. My name is Nick Schultz, and as always, I'm joined with our producer, DJ, the man, the myth, the legend, Quinn Harris. What up? How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know how excited I am today, right? Yeah. I mean, you see my shirt. Yeah. You see my shirt. See my. I got all my Rwandan stuff over here. So, we've got a true, (laughs) a true authentic Rwandan here today that we're going to introduce. And the interesting thing, Quinn, and I, you know, I didn't tell him I was going to say this, but um, he, we found each other because he was actually like stalking me on social media, like Instagram. True story. And really? He, yeah, he reached out to me, and like I didn't realize he was just like checking out what I was doing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's kind of true, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, actually, it was I, I was hashtagging uh, Rwanda, and I'm like, oh wow, that, you know, people are doing a lot of missionary work. And I see you, I was like, click the picture, swipe left, swipe left. I was like, oh my goodness. And then like, um, I seen that you were part of the church. I was like, wait, they have a mission team. I was like, oh my goodness, like this guy's from Savannah. Like, and he's in uh, Rwanda. I was like, okay, so yeah, and that's when I wrote to you. And I was like, hey man, like, we need to get up as soon as you get back. And sure enough, there you are. That's how it happened. That's so exactly that's how it happened. Man. But maybe we should allow you to introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. Too, you know. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> introduce you. Say your full name, please. The full thing? Oh, okay. the full thing. All yeah. right. So my name is uh, Theophilus Tushimire. That's my Rwanda name. But my American name is uh, Thea Brown T. Um, <laughs> I got, I, I don't have a middle name. So my, 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 um, so whenever I got married, me and my wife decided to make our own name because it's cultural in our, um, you know, in, in the Rwandan culture, everybody has their own last name. Yeah. So we're like, hey, let's create our own la- last name so nobody else has this name. It's Brown hyphen Tushimide. So whenever we, we get like our background checks, they come back in like five minutes because <laughs> <laughs> there's only two of us. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. So, that's awesome. How sweet yeah. is that if you yeah, get to sweet. like make up your own name? That's legit. Oh, really yeah. I mean, because like, it literally happened in, in twenty nine or uh, 2009, whenever I got my citizenship, they were like, hey, you do have the option to change your name. So I was like, nah, I'm still going to keep it African. But then I'm also going to add a little American twist to it. So that's where the brown brown part came That's from. cool. Yeah. That's cool. Imani Shimwe. Theo Morakazaneza. Thank you, Nick. See, and this is a crazy thing. He speaks more flu- fluent um, Ichinaguanda than I do, which is which is should be shameful, but <laughs> <laughs> but where where I came to the states in '94, so I was like eight and a half, nine years old, and so and I've been speaking English ever since, or like '95 since, and and my parents made a point to not let us speak Ichinaguanda at the house at all until we learned English, so you're literally forced to brain dump everything that you know. And learn a different language and then once you try to go back now you have an accent so whenever i go back to our community they're like you're not going in i was like but i am 
Yeah. But they're like, no, you're not. I was, they're like, you have an accent. I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's literally like almost like I don't know what to tell them because mm-hmm. uh, I was up there two weekends ago and they were like, um, are you adopted? I was like, <laughs> no, that's my mom and dad. They were like, no, uh-uh, you got to be adopted. I was like, no, because they didn't really see me a whole lot because whenever I left, I joined the military in 06. I, I wasn't really going back and forth to the house. So, like, they didn't really see me. So, like, the people who's been there for, like, the last 10 years don't really know who I am. And so they were like, yeah, you got to be adopted because nobody has a full beard. Like, I <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, I, I was able to grow a full beard. And, like, so whenever I go home, I look like a complete stranger. I don't look going at it at all. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's all about. But here I am. Here you are. Here and we're glad you're here. And we tried to make it as comfortable as we could here. I mean, I've got my authentic. I like that. Rwandan shirt. It was like made that. in Rwanda, fitted for really? my specific body dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful, Nick. I like you it. You go man. to the market, you pick out like a, you just pick out the fabric you want. Then you go to another place and they measure you. And then you come back a few days later. And you got a shirt. You've got a shirt, but then they fit it. So if it's tight, they loosen it up. If it needs to be tighter, they do that. And it's the real, the real wow, deal, man. Real deal, man. <clears throat> so legit. It is legit. But Theo actually gave me the shirt I was wearing earlier when I came in, the one he's wearing now. He's got that American and Rwandan shirt. I got the half and half. And so I told him as soon as I saw him wear that, it was online or something, I was just like, you got to tell me where you got that. Because <laughs> I think, I mean, I truly, I've been to Rwanda five times. I'm going to go for the sixth time uh, in a couple months now. Oh, but man, but I think I'm part Rwandan. I really do. And they tell me over there that I am now. It's more to make me feel better because I want to be. <laughs> but I think him. Well, now that actually Black Panther came out, and Wakanda's over there too. Yeah. I brought, you know, Listen, Prince, Prince I, T'Challa. Like that's, that's probably more legit than the actual movie itself. I like that. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I like that. But I think I'm, you know, somewhere like 50%. American, like 30. No, it trips me out. Rwanda, 20, Wakanda. Like anytime you text me anything in Uganda, I have to really think about what I'm going to text back because I'm like, whoa. Like you kind of throw a curveball at me. I'm like, how do you spell that? Like I'm literally going through the motions. Like I have to reach all the way in the back of my head to try to get like just a proper response back. And so I'm I'm just like, man, Nick is more running than I am. Oof, man. That felt so good to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Felt so good. (laughs) But you're the only one I can talk to in person here. That's true. In in Kinyarwanda. Right. Where I I mean I can text it to other people that are over there, email. Right. But when you're learning a language and it's such a small country, and there's no reason for anyone else here to you know, it's (laughs) not Spanish, it's not French. Nobody needs to know it. And even online, there's not even good resources to like do it. So you need to like do it with someone it, it it's it's pretty pretty thin <clears throat> i mean i got the book in my backpack right now like oh, do you one really? of only two books i think is that good oh my goodness to other than, with. literally other <clears throat> than the bible like the the translated uh Gwandan bible like you you won't find a lot a lot of literature um unless you you know you go back yeah but yeah so cool man well let's talk about going back and leaving i want to get into it because man you're your story is just pretty incredible and like someone just sees you on the street here in Savannah and you know they see you in your barbershop or they see you walking down the street you know first of all people aren't probably going to think you're African no they're no. not going to think definitely not going to think you're Rwandan Africans don't think I'm African right so yeah so we're, I want to get into that a little bit but yeah. like 
kind of take us take us back to you know childhood and really um, it's just a powerful story of um, what happened with your family um, kind of leading up 1994 uh, genocide in Rwanda mm-hmm. <clears throat> and obviously your age you were still alive then right and so kind of kind of walk us through that of what was going on and what happened with your family and how you ended up over here Whew. so that's a long story but I'm, I'm gonna try to give you the 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 big points or the condensed version of it yep um so 94 all that happens um the it, it was actually happened in april um the the president gets shot down uh in a plane along with another um dignitary from a from a different country mm-hmm. um the the two tribes the hutu tribe and the tutsi tribe they go at it um it, start, it literally started that night like I remember hearing because we didn't live that far from the airport, so I remember hearing a big boom. But that was common because, like, it was kind of like leading up to that, it was like a lot of coups. Yeah. Where you know, this little uh, tribal sectors, um, like they would, I'll, I'll call them more like gangs. Like they would kind of fight each other. Uh, so like it, it wasn't uncommon to hear gunfire. It wasn't uncommon to hear people screaming. Um, so and how old were you during I, that time? I was, I was like eight, because my brother's in August. So yeah, I was I was seven and a half going on eight at that time because I because whenever I got to America that was like in October I was already nine. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was yeah I was eight, and so all that's going on. Um, as soon as we heard that, my mom turns on the radio. She's like, "Oh wow!" Like the the like it just got announced that the president's dead. So now. You literally, like, as soon as she, it, it was almost kind of synchronized, like, as soon as she said that, like, you heard just a bunch of stuff interrupt, like, people screaming, people yelling, a lot of people shouting, um, so we, we lived in a house um, that was, it wasn't a, it was like a three-bedroom house, and so, uh, so she gathered everybody in the house, um, she put us all, like, in another corridor, it was probably about the size of um, maybe half of this room wise and so like we had um some people who lived with us so we all went in there it's probably about 10 people in a little closet space mm-hmm. um and you know and we're in there and uh we 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 kind of stayed in there until until things kind of calmed down um and then we looked outside it was literally like the fog of war it's, it's like this this eerie silence like the birds aren't even chirping they it, it's 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 just dead right <clears throat> And you kind of just like, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where it's like the, like the apocalypse or like the zombie movies where it's like, it's like right before everything re, re erupts, it's like quiet. And, you, and like you see people just like emerging from like, like their hiding spots, like looking around, like that, that's literally how it felt like, because we, we, we got out and we're looking outside. We didn't see anybody. We didn't hear anything. And then it seemed like all of a sudden he just re-erupted again. Uh, and that was the a gang had formed to literally just go around killing people. Like, that's literally what it was. And they were ready, like, <clears throat> when that plane went down. Like, it oh, was, yeah. they were already ready to go. Right. Did your family know? I mean, maybe not you as a kid, but did your parents know what that meant once the plane went down? Like, no. it's about to go down or mm-hmm. no? Because there was a lot of people, um, you know, you, you growing up in a political divided country, like, you you tend to learn to read the political climate or you tend to learn to read the people um but we didn't know but apparently other families knew other people 
who who were in the know, they knew what was going on. So they had already kind of sent family members out like a, about a month ahead. Um, and we didn't think nothing of it. But was it based on tribe that they, that people knew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So more more of the um, I, I would say the the two two T tribe people um, who who we knew kind of looking back now it, it's like oh they must have known because like a month ahead they send their kids off somewhere else uh, but they stayed or uh, I know our neighbors they they sent um, like their three sons away. We didn't think nothing of it, yeah. but their daughters say, now looking back, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Um, and so, again, we didn't think nothing of it. At that time, my dad was in America. He was uh, going to a Bible college in Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Mountain Bible College. And so... So your dad was gone when the genocide started. Right. Oh, yeah. wow. And yeah. your mom was in kind of leading the family. Yeah, so, 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 so my mom was ahead of the household at that time because he had gone back and forth to America to study... Um, and so like he had left in 93. So he, he had until about the end of 94 to come back. Um, but whenever the war started, like that was pretty much it. Like there was like, that was it. And so we, we didn't really know how to get a hold of him, hmm. when to get a hold of him. So yeah. we didn't talk to him for a good three, four months in no, all that time. So no he's thinking that we're dead. Like, cause I mean, cause it, wow. we lived in a city, so it's like everybody in the city was like, it, if if you didn't hear from them, you just might as well just assume that they're dead. You were in Kigali, the capital. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so once, so once all that happened, uh, our neighbors, our he was a mayor, um, and he, you know, he had some protection, he had some bodyguards, and he had, you know, his house was pretty well fortified. So, um, so they let us kind of slip through the gate. Um, and, you know, and stay at their uh, place for, for a good week or so until it got to the point where they couldn't even stay. Oh. And so we were literally like in the heat of it for, for a good two and a half weeks. Um, and that's when the most of the killing was happening the first 90, like those first 90 right, days, right? Right. Yeah. Like the first 90 days, that was like the, like the hot, the hot 90 days. Um, so we're there. Um, our, our neighbors got killed. Because uh, their daughters jumped the fence and they came to our house. And so whenever um, they jumped the fence, whoever was was torturing their parents jumped the fence following them. They came to our house. So at that time, but like like that was literally like two nights after everything like just went off. Um, and we're wondering what's going on because all we hear just screaming. Like mm-hmm. it, it was like I, I can still remember it's it like a scream that you never can describe because it was it wasn't somebody screaming out of like agony it was beyond agony hmm. it was like i don't know how to describe it but it, it was like if you ever heard somebody like just in excruciating pain screaming but then put on top of that the fact that he's also getting chopped mm-hmm. by machetes as he's screaming mm-hmm. it, it, it was an awful sound mm-hmm. so we're so we're hearing that but we don't know who it is so lo and behold, it's, it's a neighbor. So his, his daughter, well, it, it, was, it was two older daughters and one young, uh, young little girl that lived there. And they raped and killed the, the little girl and, and the mom. The two older siblings were the ones that jumped the fence to come to our house. 
So whenever my mom seen him come down, she went ahead and took him in. So whoever, like the mob that was at the house, seen them come into our house, seen my mom bring him in. And so they were trying to tell us that, hey, y'all got to leave. Y'all got to leave because they're coming down here, too. They were talking about coming down to this house next. My mom's like, I mean, where, where are we going to go? So we literally just hunkered down and prayed. Like that was wow. that was like the only answer to any of that. Um, so we're literally like in this little corridor, got 10 of us. Like we're in, in the ready to meet Jesus position because we're just like kind of like at this point, we got nothing left. So why not pray? So like we're literally praying our like our hearts out, and the the mob comes over. They break into the house, and we hear them breaking into the uh, next um, bedroom right next to the corridor. They're in there. They're screaming. They're yelling. There's another mob in the living room. They literally got a whole entire house ransacked, and we're literally in that little corridor, like just praying for a miracle at that time. And it was weird because like, I still get chills talking about this because it, it was like when when you hear and, and, and see, well, it's mostly when you hear God working, you don't really question it because it's not what you expect. So, so we're praying for a miracle. They're in the house. And all of a sudden, it gets really quiet. And all you hear is murmuring. And then all, and then all you hear is screaming because they're leaving. So we don't know what happened because we were on the other side of the wall. But all we heard was silence and screaming and they left. It was literally like we don't know what happened, but we we heard it's like, hey, this is the pastor's house. Let's get out of here. Like they got it, it was like a frantic um, like they got scared and left. Wow. So we're like, wow, that that's a God moment. So. As soon as that happened, we're like, okay, hey, let's get out of here. So, um, so we waited for them to leave until nightfall, and then we went to our neighbor's house, um, who was the mayor, and then we we stayed there for um, about a about a good week. Um, that that other neighbor who jumped the fence, his body was in front of our yard. Um, so we like literally for for the three or four days, his body was there. His daughters w- would see his body like just chopped up in pieces um and then it, it was it, it was like the it's weird because like you don't feel emotion right because you're so detached from it because it, it's your your brain and your body wants to feel that that's normal so you don't rationalize it you just go through you, you just literally just go through it so his body being there it was kind of like okay like it, it, it wasn't a thought like his body shouldn't be here. It was more like accepted as as that, and and that's what it was. So, once they removed his body, um, it, it was like another mob that came through, removed his body, stole all the jewelry off of the body. Like we were literally watching them remove the body. We we're like, because they were just dumping everybody, in, you know, it just mass graves, like right next door to our um, housing complex. And so, once that happened, the war got worse. Like. Literally everybody in the city had already cleared out and we were like the last wave to leave. And literally when when we left, it was kind of, um, I forgot what movie it is, but you, you literally see like as you're leaving, like the town burned down. Like that's what it felt like. Mm. And so, um, so we leave 
and we go to my mom's uh, parents. Uh, they lived in uh, Ichangugu, which is probably about a good eight hours away drive, um, about a two-day walk. Um, so we we were able to get a vehicle, put about twenty people in in, a, in this little small little van, uh-huh. and just left the count like just like left that whole entire town um and then we got to a checkpoint where they offloaded everybody and they they took the van to go collect bodies they took your van yeah so like they took the van that we were in oh my goodness to go collect bodies wow so we were literally there because like checkpoints were were honestly made by the gangs like they weren't really like a military checkpoint it was just dudes with guns when they're checking they're checking ids too right people... no they're not really checking ids they're not really checking anything they're <clears throat> literally just checking to make sure you're not one of the the tribe people that's trying to leave like so they're but are they trying to identify if someone's hutu or tutsi right. if they need to be killed or not right exactly yeah. exactly and so and so they're so they got a you know all of us kind of like rounded up in in this little corner um like it was like the killing corner because uh-huh. you could kind of tell it was like kind of like got kind of blast platters like you know everywhere he was like you kind of just sitting there just literally just waiting to die really so they go and uh they take the van that we're in it was like about a good four or five hours they bring it back it got blood everywhere it got guts in, in in like like inside the van we get back in the van and we keep driving because because at that point is it's we at least we got transportation mm-hmm. so we left um and then we we got to um to where the van really couldn't go any further because my grandparents they lived in the countryside at that time so um we had to go on foot so this is probably about day two like day two uh into the whole evacuation trip um and then nightfall came as walking stopped by where everybody else is trying to sleep at um it was like pretty much just like like a big huge open field and we we kind of hunkered down at this time it's me my brother my mom um and that's uh, like as, as, far, as far as family wise go is it's just the four of us yeah me my brother my sister and my mom and we're we're trying to sleep we get separated like i i get separated from the rest of my group because it, it was like nighttime so it was like all we hear heard was screaming and everybody runs right and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> I'm like, for a, for a good like five hours, I can't find my like, I can't find my mom. I can't gosh, find my brother. Eight years old, man. Yeah, I'm oh I'm gosh. literally like, I'm on my like, I think about that. And I'm like, wow, I was probably gonna be one of those uh, uh, kids of war. Like that was that was that was it. Like luckily, um, I heard my mom's voice and I, I just started running t- towards it. Found him, and we just started walking. We're like, we're not staying here. So at that time, we literally just started walking. Um, at this point, my mom, she, she's the only person that we got. So it's, it's the two boys and Grace. So, um, my siblings, Tim and Grace, um, she was, she was five. Yeah, she was five. Uh, Tim is a year and a half older than I am. So we're, we're all still under the age of 10. Um, and, and she's just like, we got to go. And so she takes all of us, all you know, all three of us. We we just start walking. At, at this point, my mom is just—I mean, she's she's tired, she's devastated, she's in tears because I mean, she she doesn't she knows where she's going, but she doesn't know if we're gonna get there. 
Right. And what are you doing for food or water during any of this time? Nothing. 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 Like, like we, we, um, we managed to get whatever, because when we left, uh, you know, our house, we left everything. So, like, we literally just fled. Yeah. And so, the little cash that we had on us, we had already used to, to kind of pitch in for the van. Um, and the little left, we're just holding on to it just, just in case. So, it's like food and water wasn't really a priority at that time. Survival was. Because you know how, like, when you're in that survival mode, nothing else matters until uh-huh. you're safe. Yeah. Um, and so, we, we finally get to a point where um, there wasn't a whole lot of people, um, like, life in a countryside seemed normal because it's like the war hadn't completely got to that point yet mm-hmm. so you see farmers in the, you know in the land just tearing up the yard like just farming like it's regular sunday or monday and you just kind of like do you <laughs> all not know what is going on like eight hours away wow. like like y'all don't know what's coming this way and they might not right and and and, and to and you know and you're right and to their point they didn't because they were literally just going through the motions of the day like like it was normal um yeah so so we got to our grandparents house um and and we and we stayed there for about two months a good two months um until until the war started getting getting up that way um because it was it was rumored but it hadn't really spread to that point yet so so we get there we're there, everything, you know, everything's good. We started going to school was, you know, we literally started just like trying to regain our senses and trying to relive like a normal life. And then you start hearing rumors of, cause like at that point it, it was, it wasn't mass killings. It was just hate. Like you just like hatred has like sipped from the city all the way, you know, all the way up to the countryside. And now like you literally hearing people just, just like, like rumors like hey did you hear about so-and-so you know he's a tutsi or he's a hutu or his you know such and such family was killing somebody else's family let's go kill him like it, it, it was it was like like just that 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 hush of of just rumors and and sure enough like uh this one family that my that, that my mom knew uh which when when we were coming up from the city um we had passed the family on the side of the road um but we didn't know what they were doing so they were waiting to get transported out because you know those little rumors they were like hey that family's gonna you know like that's the next family to get killed and so we say hi to them and we you know my mom talked to them because i guess um the mom and my mom were really good friends um and we we later heard like like two days later it was an outside, like um, you know, an outhouse that they they put the whole family in the outhouse, which was just a big hole, and they put them all upside down, um, and they left them for dead, except for um, uh, except for the daughter they put right side up, so that she could scream, like that, like just to mess with them, probably. Yeah, you literally see human nature at its worst, Ugh. and you're like, who who thinks of this, like? Honestly, like, what type of mind do you have to have to think of this, like, nonsense? Like, this is, like, this torturous nonsense. And so she eventually died because they had put a sign right by the outhouse, like, hey, if you hear screaming, don't don't help. Don't give nobody food. Anybody else that, that helps will end up, like, just like the family. So obviously nobody helped. Hmm. And though you heard we just screaming for help, screaming for help. Eventually you don't hear nothing. And so 
um, once that happened, and then they literally buried a full family, just covered out the whole entire outhouse. Um, like that's like one of the like the pure examples that I I I witnessed that I was like. I didn't know how to process that. I, I mean, at eight years old, you don't know how to process much, but at that time I had seen so much that I ha I didn't know how to process any of it. So I just took it as like, wow, that's messed up. Like that's war. Like that's that's all I could take it as. Later in life, it, 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 it had sh showed me the darkest part of humanity that I never wanted to go back to. Um, so we're, so, so now back to my grandparents' house. So we're there, the war's coming up there. Um, my dad writes a letter to the church. Uh, the church tries to find us. Uh, at that time, like the Free uh, Methodist Church, like everybody was, was just out everywhere. So they were trying to find uh, like the bishop's families or like, or like the pastor's families, anybody that, that they could rescue. So they, um, they located us and uh, they asked us to come up to uh, Zaire or uh, Congo. the Congo, which is literally right across the bridge from um, where my grandparents were. Uh, it, it's about a day's walk away. Um, so we gathered our stuff. Um, we said goodbye to our grandparents. My mom said goodbye to her parents. She ain't seen them since. Um, and we left. Like, we literally walked into the next country over. And that was the last that we seen of really anybody from home. Um, and there, we stayed in Zaire for um, for about a month. Uh, they were trying to process our paperwork. Uh, this is where I have two birthdays. I have the I have my American <laughs> birthday, which is August seventh, and I have my London birthday, which is August sixth. Because somewhere in there, there was <laughs> there was mix up as to what dates there were, and so um, it it was it was paperwork. We were trying to get paperwork. We literally got smuggled out of the you know you know out of the country. Um, oh. And uh, they found us, they were able to get a plane, they were able to, um, somehow or another, money was collected um, for us to get to Kenya. To get to Kenya, uh, we had to get on this little plane. We flew over there with the missionaries. Um, it's like a little prop plane or yeah, something? Yeah, it was literally like, like a two-propeller joint. Like wow. it was, yeah. And so it, it, it was like a good six-hour flight. It was just like, it was thing about that and my military experience I was like okay yeah that's about similar I was like, it, it was so uncomfortable <laughs> and like yeah it, it, it was but it was survival and so like we you know and 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 to be honest like we were the lucky ones like right. my family I consider my family to be one of the fortunate families that didn't get to endure the rest of the war because the people who 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 unfortunately couldn't make it out the state that came like years later their stories are way way worse and so like i i see our story i'm like wow like our our story is crazy but i hear this guy's story and i'm like wow this dude got chopped up and left for dead and he is telling his story right now i'm like wow it's like like comparing you know bad stories but you're just like wow my story is way way easier to listen to than that guy's because he's his story is <clears throat> crazy incredible all this is crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Just to recap it. Right. You're eight years old. You go through a genocide. Your father is in America, not even in Rwanda with you. So your mom's taking care of you and your family. Mm -hmm. People come to kill you, pray. They end up leaving. Mm -hmm. Flee. All the stuff you've seen as an eight-year-old. Dead bodies. Chopped up. Laying on the side of the road. 
all these kind of things. Traveling by foot, no food, no water, all the way across the country. Then go to another country for a month, <clears throat> and then somehow you miraculously fly right. to go back to visit your dad in America and stay. Like, and once you came to America, you haven't left. No, um, I like our fam- Well, my my older brother went to visit back in uh, 2011, and he was only gone for like five days, and we didn't tell nobody he was going. It was more of a hush mission. It was like. He literally just, he was like, I just, I just feel like I want to go back. And he went back and visited and came back. Um, and we didn't tell nobody that he left until he came back. Um, he, um, I, I guess the day that he left, my, my parents were able to get a hold of somebody that could go to the airport and receive him. Um, and then after that, like, he was able to visit a couple people and then to, like, take some clothes and take some money. And that was it. And he just flew back. Yeah, so explain that to me because we've talked about this before. Huh? Yeah. I've tried to take you to Rwanda. <laughs> like I, and I know you want to go back right, at some I point. Do. You want to I go do. back, but yeah. you know. And Quinn and I were talking about it before you came here, but just you know, we'll, we'll set aside. We'll go back to like experiencing what you did as an eight-year-old, right? With with the war and the death and all that kind of stuff. But just even being gone from your home country, <clears throat> especially the way you left it, mm-hmm. and living here in America, and so much of who you are is over there, but you haven't been back yet right and like so you combined all the the pain and the memories and what you saw there when you left it's not like you left and it was like hey great feeling we're going for a better experience in america right, and, yeah, and to yeah. try this american dream or anything be right. with dad we're escaping mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you know what what is that what was i like when you were younger but even even now just that you are part of that country and that history but you still haven't experienced it or like gone back for whatever it is, just not even necessarily closure, but just like what, what would that do for you? What are you missing by, by having not been back yet to where you were? To be honest, man, like um, being able to reconnect with, with who, who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of like, I guess I can, I, I can kind of consider that as, as, as being adopted. Um, And, you're, you're always trying to figure out who's who's my real parents. Mm. Like, you have that longing to go back and actually um, to see where you come from, to actually understand, you know, at, at, at the age of eight years old, there's a lot of things that you, you mentally can't comprehend or, or, you know, or that you don't know. But being an adult, you always want to go back and say, oh, that's who I am. And so for me, that I feel like that's, there's a, a missing, a missing link in that because I'm, you know, I want to go back and 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 see and see really where I come from, mm-hmm. um, because as an eight-year-old, again, you're you're seeing it from an eight-year-old's perspective, um, a childlike mind perspective. You're not seeing the whole picture; you're only seeing what you're looking at. Like that's about it. And it was a bad picture too. Man. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So like for for me, the only thing I remember is the bad. There's no good. So I want to go back and actually balance out the bad with the good. Like, like that to me, like that, like that would be my, I guess my bigger picture. Your dream. Yeah. To, like, yeah. Like my yeah, big dream. And we've talked about it before. It's not necessarily like an easy thing for you just to go back either. Right. And you know, I was like, man, I want Theo to come with me. I want Theo <laughs> to come with me. But there's a lot more things to consider than just like, Hey, it's all cool. I've got a passport. You know, I was right. in the, I was in the American military. There's not going to be any issues if I just go fly back to Rwanda and everything. Right. You know, kind of explain to everybody why that would be hard it's not just the emotional aspect but even like the intricacies of going back to a country that is you know seems safe and free right but has a history of you know 
why would that be a difficult thing? Like it, it is difficult because you, um, like personally, like for me, it's difficult. Well, emotionally, it's difficult, right? Mm-hmm. But um, being through the military and doing all that, like you get to also see another side of humanity, and you get to also, um, unfortunately, take part of in, in in the other side of humanity, which is 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 not the prettiest thing which is going overseas and occupying somebody else's country and doing this and that and you get to learn there's there's things that seem safe that aren't safe and so for me it, it's it's more the the safety aspect of it because when when you go into a country that that that's been like that for so long you know that there's somebody that's always looking for you because i mean my parents still own land over there yeah. uh, my parents still own houses my parents still you know have have people that fly back and forth. In fact, like my mom um, was was accused of partaking in a genocide one way or another, and she had to testify to something. So like there or here, here, and and, and this wasn't where? like, and this wasn't that long ago. It was probably like maybe about three or four years ago. No way. Yeah. So like it's like somebody accused her, or somebody brought her name up, and oh. Um, you know, she was doing this and that. It was actually one of the, um, funny enough, it was actually one of the girls that we rescued. Really? Yeah. And she was the one that brought her name up as part of um, the accusation. Like, yeah, she yeah, she was there killing people. She was doing this and that. And so when when that when that came up, like that was like another sign of there's still a lot of animosity. Wow. And still, and, and and that's why we didn't tell anybody that my, like 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 that my brother was going back because to protect him. Yeah, it, it was more of a protecting thing. But yeah, so like even so, there's like land there, and people can just say anything. Yeah, literally, you show like, up in the country. Right. It's like, hey, we want to talk to you, and you're like, exactly, exactly. I mean, like like there's a lot of people that's just been gone and disappeared. Like right. there there is people who have uh, passed away, and you just kind of like. Hmm. How, he wasn't that old. How, how, how did he pass away in his sleep? Mm-hmm. And he's like, so you kind of learn to kind of read between the lines, and, and you're like, mm, probably not a great idea to go back. So like, the only way that I, the, that me and my parents can go back is to go through a different or um, to like um, Burundi or something like that, and then have somebody come and meet us up at the border. Um, but like, you know, R- Rwanda has has gotten so rich apparently like so so much more i mean through the eyes of the gram you're right well it's the fastest growing like economy right kind of in so like i'm I'm literally like at least a couple times a week i go and hashtag rwanda just to kind of see what's what what's popping if you will like and i'm like wow like they've gotten so advanced they got you know they got technology like that's crazy out of this world uh, in fact, I read somewhere that they were trying to make it like the next Wakanda, literally, like <laughs> like they were building infrastructures. Well, they're to trying to get it. like 5G throughout the whole country there. I yeah, think, like right yeah. like to literally make it look like, like Wakanda. I'm like, <laughs> yo, like this is ridiculous. And like, you could be the cool. prince that returns hey. and uh, be the king, man. <laughs> it's challenge day. <laughs> but At I'm, the waterfall, yeah. right? <laughs> but I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, like I would have never thought in my wildest dream that Rwanda would would look like America or like it would look like one of the the, the fastest growing places in the world. Um, so like that in itself was it, is is pretty amazing to me. I mean, I would love to see that, but unfortunately, I understand that I understand the way that the government works isn't 
productive for me to be able to be to to go over there and actually stay or visit it, it's just kind of like mm, nah, i'm good yeah so unfortunately i got to travel through the eyes of the gram facebook and pictures right now but one day one day i really honestly do want to go back hopefully when it's um when it's better because the same president that's been in place since the genocide is is still the same president now yeah he just got to like to do a third term right they, they changed the so you can kind of kind of see where that that's kind of like uh, okay all right well you know it you know so like the political climate is 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 making changes but there's still the undertone of of um <clears throat> of of hatred yeah, yeah. Well, i think it still exists well it's humans man yeah <clears throat> yeah it's humans there's always so. gonna be some kind of evil all right, well, let's, let's bounce back to, like, kind of what happened when you came to America. Man, there's just so, so much, and you're, you're eight years old, coming to America, completely different place. Right. What, did you know any English when no, you came? So no. you know, you had no English. No, no English. You're coming to America as an eight-year-old after everything you witnessed and experienced there. Right. You know, how long did it take you to get set up and go into, like, a school, or did Man. you just have to earn, um, learn English at home first? Man, I got so many questions, right, but so, just, let's just start there. <laughs> All right, so if if anybody's listening to this and they hear my country twang, um, I actually learned how to speak English in Kentucky. So, oh man, yeah, so I got that going for me. Uh, <laughs> so, He's um, a hillbilly Rwanda, can you believe that? <laughs> they do exist. I tell you what, um, it's just one of those things that honestly, learning how to speak English was was difficult, but it wasn't because it's like. All the kids and you know all the kids on the college campus that we lived on like they didn't speak you know Ichinaguanda or french so we're like okay we want to play with them we gotta somewhat understand what they're saying so yeah. a lot of the stuff we're saying without knowing what it means but it will it will get them to do what they're supposed to be doing and so um it took us about a year yeah it, it took us about a year to learn english um so from about 90 95 that's when we started going to school to actually get better. Um, once we learned the basics, then we went to school and started learning a little bit more advanced English. Um, and in 96, that's when we were actually, I would say that's when we were placed in a, like a class class. And um, were you on track with your age or were you behind or? I'd like to think I was on track okay. um, because it made sense for my age to graduate out of high school in in all four that's when i graduated so you're about 18 school, so. or 19. yeah okay so yeah, yeah well, that's pretty good yeah so I, I, I was i was on track so but my my mom is is a teacher by by trade so having a mom that's a teacher and having a dad that's 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 also a teacher and a pastor um you learn things quickly <laughs> you're you're forced to learn things quickly and so like you, you, literally like we would have um a lady that would come to the house um uh, for the first nine months that were you know in america and and literally just tutor us but it was it was that you know hello hi um basic 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 bare bones english and then we also had um pbs <laughs> to be honest like like we we learned sesame street, street baby sesame street barney reading rainbow <laughs> uh puzzle place and uh, these are old shows for anybody who is probably under 30. You yeah. probably won't know what these yeah, are. Yeah, you're an old man, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm telling you, like, Reading Rainbow was, like, our saving grace. Like, we would watch it as a family. Like, like 
like for us like literally like yeah butterflies in the sky hey yeah you, you know what i'm saying like it, it was literally like that was our our family time barney was our family time um so yeah I, I, learning how to speak english watching those 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 things that most most you know american kids don't want to watch or they take for granted like those educational things it's like to me, that is fundamental. Like, yeah. if, if if you didn't have Barney growing up, if you didn't have really, like, you missed out. Like, there's probably why certain vocabulary is, is, is in dictionaries now that, you know, shouldn't be. And I just imagine it's not being, like, super hard, and correct me if I'm wrong, for you guys to, like, learn or work hard or do things based on your experiences and how grateful you might have been to be alive or to be but see, over here. Or, or like, That's the craziest thing, Nick. Like, it, it's... From 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 the readings that I've done, it's like you your your brain always wants to go back to the natural state of safety, mm-hmm. of comfort, of 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 just everything. So like when you experience something traumatic, your brain is always trying to go back to safety, trying to go back to comfort. So you you tend to get comfortable really easily. You tend to get um, because you don't want to re-experience that. So it's like we we get to America, we're so busy trying to learn and trying to um, become like Americanized, if you will, mm-hmm. that somewhere along the way we, we, or at least for me, like I felt like I lost a little bit of that, of that edge where I should have been grateful. You know, it's like, it doesn't, you know, for a kid, it doesn't start, you know, it, it doesn't take long for a kid to start complaining about that they don't have enough toys. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, it's like literally cause like, you know, yeah. all the toys that we got were, you know, hand-me-downs, but like, you know, you're, you're, kind of like trying to look at this, you know, Batman toy that's m- like missing all the little components that come with it. It's like, oh, okay. But you like still want it, but you, you're, you're like, well. You know there's better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know there's better, but you also understand that you don't got the money to go out and buy toys like that. So it was, it was you know, it was one of those things that looking back now, I'm like, wow, it's like I really should have kept a humble spirit growing up because somewhere I got, complacent somewhere I got comfortable because I, I I was I wasn't doing that grading school like uh high school wise like I, I didn't like my parents were just happy I graduated <laughs> like like literally like my parents were just like thank god even with the you know a, a d minus or a c minus like you just graduated just just graduate um and I you know my my parents are big on education so it's like you know my sister does well my older brother did well um shoot even my younger brother i was like i was the one you know i had that middle child syndrome so like i was the one that's like the hard-headed kid like just just barely just yeah i got one of those (laughs) just like just barely getting by um but now looking back i you know i I really wish i would have would have done better at that would have been more grateful at 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 being in the positions that i was in um so but yeah, my my American experience has been has been pretty pretty crazy. Um, Can you? I'm just so intrigued by like the emotional health of your family and what you went through because you come from experiencing that, and there's trauma, right? Mental trauma, emotional trauma, and then you're trying to live this life in America, and your family has went through something that is completely crazy. Your dad wasn't even necessarily a part of it, so. You know, his wife and kids went through all this, right. but he wasn't there with them to experience it. I can't even imagine what that was like for him, finding out everything you went through. Right. And, <clears throat> you know, how much you 
talk about it? How much, like, probably not necessarily going through counseling or work. You're like, well, how did you get through all that stuff? And then you're in a country that you're not used to. And all these other kids, man, they didn't experience anything like that. Right. I mean, it's, it's honestly gotten easy, easier to talk about over time because when, um, like, my dad's side of the story is pretty crazy. It's it's actually, like, it's it's intense. It's insane because he's, he's over here um, in college, poor, doesn't really have any money. And he gets a call from the missionaries like, hey, uh, we have your family. Um, are you ready to... You know, would you know? Do you have enough money to bring him over without hesitation? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got money to bring him over. He had, he didn't have a dime, right? And yeah. so, and and not 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 to get crazy, crazy, super super churchy or super religious or super um, Christiany, if you will. Like prayer changes lives, man. Like for real. Like prayer changes your situation. Like he. He fasted. He fasted and prayed for 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 weeks, like to the point where the people on on the college campus, like they were getting concerned because he was losing weight at a rapid like at a rapid rate, um, because he, he you know he was worried. He was praying, and 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 how he got the funds for us to get over here was was crazy because it's like he he just prayed, and then churches started hearing about you know what's going on in Rwanda what you know what's going on with his family and they started collecting love offerings like you know it it was like you know it was gonna take a thing eight thousand dollars to get us over here from Kenya um eight thousand dollars was collected probably within a three-week time frame (laughs) like because it was literally like like churches would hear about it collect an offering send it and he was like I don't know what to do with this money I don't like he was like just just hold on to it until i need it yeah. <laughs> and so um and so finally like you know the money got put together they sent it to the missionaries we you know they bought plane tickets and you know and we got over here but i didn't actually hear his story or his side of the story you know because his side of the story is different than somebody else like a third party watching him go through it. Right. And I heard it two weeks ago and he made me cry, bro. Like I was like, wow. whoa, like, like, you know, cause when you think of your, 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 your dad or your mom, like, like you don't really ever see him in the, any other light other than just your parents. But like hearing their humanity side, hearing their human side, you're just like, my goodness gracious. Like, wow, my parents are human. And so like, it, it, it was incredible to hear and, um, and just really honestly understanding the power of prayer, man, like, yo, prayer changes things, man, like, to the T. And, like, and even when it comes down to the emotional health, like, I've, I've had to go through counseling for, for PTSD through the military, mm. right? But, it, but it's crazy because I'm like, okay, well, how am I going through counseling for this? But I never really went to counseling for everything else that I experienced as a kid. But you're just like, okay, well, everything's interconnected. Like, things things play play a huge role um like your childhood stories play a huge role in your adulthood and so you know in counseling session i'll bring that up too um you know because i I just i just wanted to get that mental clarity that mental like connection of okay this is affecting you know i'm not just experiencing ptsd from 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 combat i'm you know uh, experiencing double ptsd from two combat zones that i was a part of and and like actually learning that, I was like, okay, so that's why I'm 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 having nightmares, but it they're not making any sense because I'm like I didn't experience any of that. But it's like 
two nightmares put together. And so, and and the last five years, yeah, I'll I say, yeah, the last five years I was, uh, I've been going to counseling at least once a month. Yeah, at least once a month. Um, and, you know, and growing up, once once we got to America, we literally traveled, like, like my dad would get asked to speak at all the churches that gave money. So, like, we would hear the story over and over, mm-hmm. retell the story every almost every Sunday. Like, our story got retold. So, like, you get used to talking about it and you get used to hearing about it yeah. um and you know and it it doesn't become something like it becomes part of you like i mean it's already part of you but you really get to to experience it over and over and over again for so for so long you just kind of like ah, yeah you know it it's a story yeah so like that's kind of how like i feel like our family's been able to go through it um like there's other unfortunate instances that has happened to other families where like they get here and um they turn into alcoholics because it's like the only way to deal with a pain or the only way to deal with losing everything you've ever had everything you've ever known is you know for them their answer was alcohol drugs Mm -hmm. and so you're you're just like wow theo you really like got the better end of the deal because it's, it's like not only did you get to share your story and hopefully impact lives like you you got to to heal every every time you told a story so like that's so for me that's kind of what i feel like counseling has helped but that was also helpful nice yeah i'm interested how uh kind of like race plays into your life as well being over here in america we've talked about this before yeah because you know just the way you look you know nobody's gonna be like hey it's it's he's he's african so but just what that's like for for you even I want to know what it was like for you kind of growing up, but even now here in Savannah, right. you know, what you see and what you feel and what you hear of, you know, you come, I, you come over, people might look at you like, oh, you're, you're African-American, you're, you're black here in America, and we expect you to kind of be like this, either at school or in, you know, military, job, wherever it is. Right. So this is kind of like what we're assuming you're going to be like. Yeah. Or maybe you think you should be like that now. But, hey, dude, I'm from Rwanda, <laughs> and I'm kind of... You know, it's different for me, man. It's crazy because, like, growing up, um, you know, I, I grew up in rural Kentucky, uh, Breathitt County. Um, Van Cleve is literally, like, one stoplight town, um, one post office. Like, you blink, you miss it. Uh, Van Cleve, Kentucky, like, that's where the college campus is. So there's there's no black people anywhere near that mm-hmm. except for um, any any people that come from, like, Papua New Guinea or Kenya to, like, learn at that college. And so – we didn't really see your typical African-Americans until um, like later on, like probably, so we got there in 94, lived there until about 2001. So like until maybe 2000, like we really didn't get to experience the whole African-American culture mm-hmm. at all. Like even in music, like we, like at that college campus, like we weren't allowed to listen to rap, but like we weren't allowed <laughs> to like listen to really anything except for Christian music. So like, you know, growing up like that, you, you kind of tend to be sheltered. And then in 2000, late 2000, we uh, came to visit uh, Dayton, Ohio, where, you know, it, it was a huge uh, running community. Um, and we get there and we get to see other running kids. First time we've ever seen other grown kids in in ten years, hmm. and we're like, they're different because they they came straight from Rwanda to to the Black American life culture. So like 
they're into hip hop. They're dressed different. I mean, like they're all G'd out, if you will. Like, like in in, in two thousand, that was like, um, like like the era of DMX, the era of of like you know Rough heavy, Rider, yeah, Rough Riders, hip hop. Like, like they're all hip hopped out, and we're just like wearing our 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 Wrangler jeans and our our <laughs> you know our Everlast shoes, and we're just kind of like, oh. So this is the black American culture life. Like we didn't get it. Like, I mean, shoot, they're sagging their pants and they're like, you know, like they're using uh, like, you know, you know, uh, I guess hip hop slang. Yo, what's up? Like, like, hey, how you doing? It's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's a nice to meet you, man. I, you know, you're, it's like, what's going on? It's like, <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm, I'm different. <laughs> I'm not like the rest of you guys. So it, it, it it was it was like a culture shock meeting them and seeing them act like the way they were acting but then like me and my brother would look at them and laugh but then we got to a point where we're like yo we didn't have the same experience as they did they they had to to blend in like we had to blend in mm-hmm. that's why we're dressed like this that's why they're dressed like that and so that was the first time i've actually um ever ever encountered um the two different Guanan experience in America, our our experience and their experience, and and then when we moved to Ohio in two thousand and one, shortly after, then I got to really experience the Black American culture, uh, which which was me going to school as a sophomore. Um, and yeah, in in two thousand one, like I didn't fit in, right? So I. The only group I've, I've, I've like I was able to fit in with was the foreign kids because mm. I mean that's really honestly what it was. So I was I was with the foreign exchange students, um, you know all the Asian dudes that were from like Korea, Japan, like you know all the um, uh, break dancers, um, like the like the kids from like Guatemala, uh, the kids whose parents were like just transferred over from because we lived over there by Wright Pat Air Force Base. So like. Um, really anybody foreign that's who i hung out with because that's we connected on a different level and so i wasn't black enough to be part of the black people i wasn't white enough to be part of the white people i was just foreign and so so i literally kind of just kind of stuck to that whole whole group like that was my clique so like where you seen like a sprinkle of like mexican kids asian kids and one black kid that's me and like <laughs> you know I, you know a couple other just like mixed kids like that didn't really fit in you know anywhere else so like i was i was pretty much like a loner uh going through high school um like my first year in a public school setting i was yeah it was it was kind of just me i didn't really play sports um my brother ran track and did soccer uh i tried to play soccer but i injured myself during tryouts so there so there was that uh i was like okay well i guess i'm not gonna play soccer i guess i'll play football and that didn't happen uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I play basketball. That didn't happen. Like, I was literally like trying to find my own identity, trying to fit in. Like, the only sport I ended up playing was volleyball, <laughs> and, uh, and and that was by default. Dude, this is just blowing my mind. Man. <laughs> and that was by default because our 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 um, our high school didn't have a a volleyball team, so they had like a little intramural team going. And I was like, I'm a senior. I gotta play some sort of sport. Like volleyball, they're just taking anybody. So I was, you know. <laughs> You know, I was on the squad, just like, just, I was like one of the three other seniors. So automatically I was, you know, I was varsity. So congratulations. Thank you. No big deal. You know, I also got lettered. So, you know, I, cause I was a senior by default, I got a letter. 
you know, I, you know, to put on my, you know, jacket. I didn't buy a Letterman jacket, but I have it. It's still at the house. So I was like, wow. And my brother got so mad. He was like, yo, how how do I play two sports and you only play one and you get lettered? And I didn't get lettered. I was like, God works miracles, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever met a Rwandan African American volleyball player. Yeah, that was me. That was me. You're that the is one. Me. I still hold the title. You're um, the one, man. Yeah, for the most minutes sat on a bench. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, like like that was just my experience, like coming to America um, and 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 starting to see really what race divides that that there are. Like I didn't know. Like I just thought everybody interact because. I, you know, coming from Rwanda, where everybody who was the same color hated each other mm. and killed each other, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, at least we're different here. Like, we're significantly different, and we we can either tolerate each other." No, that's not the case. Like, I didn't know what the American history was with you know Black American culture. Like, I didn't know what the history was until literally like I'm still learning what the history is. Mm. You know, because it, it, it's one of those things that you have to understand and you have to kind of get in a mindset of really trying to understand. But um, like racism for me never, never was a hindrance. Like did I experience racism? I think so. Um, but I never saw it as racism. I just see, saw it as ignorance. Like I, I, like you can't hate me if you don't know me. Like you get to know me, you're going to be like blown away and you're going to like me. Like, <laughs> like, like there's no way you cannot not like me. And so, like, so to me, I was, I was like, racism. I was like, no, you just don't know me well enough to like me. So, I, I just always saw that as, as just ignorance, and never really seen it as, as racism. Um, you know, we, we hate what we don't understand and what we fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'll give you a chance to understand me. I'm, I'm not a threatening person. So that's why I was like, I was always confused. I was like, so are you like? legitly being racist right now or are you just being ignorant like which one are you so i I never really count like to me i never saw them as racist but maybe they were (laughs) but i never really saw them as that yeah um because i never really saw racism in that you know like just in that light now you know growing up i can look back and say oh okay yeah that was a you know that was a racist moment <clears throat> like there was a uh, a time that me and my brother went to a church camp in uh illinois and we went to go visit a buddy of ours house uh and we were walking in a neighborhood this little town in illinois has not seen at that time probably not seen any black people for for like ever so <laughs> like we were like the anomaly and we're walking down the street and it wasn't that far it was literally like maybe like a five minute walk and we see a cop pull up and it's like, hey, uh, where you guys going? We're like, yeah, we're going to my friend Jeremy's house. It was like, oh, okay. Are you guys from here? We're like, no, because we still live in Kentucky, so we're just mm-hmm. there visiting. And he's like, okay, um, why don't I not take you guys over there? So we hopped in his cruiser. He drove us down the street. We got there. We didn't think nothing of it. And then the people who were staying with, we we told them that we got picked up by a cop. They were furious. We were like, "Wait, was that a racist moment?" Like, we, like, like we were still trying to figure. Like, wait, was he being racist? Oh my gosh, he was being racist. But we're like, we we didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. we 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 really honestly didn't know if somebody called the cops or if that was like, like an intentional racism. But we were like, oh okay. Like even up to now, we're just kind of like, we were just happy we got a ride and we didn't have to walk. <laughs> To be honest, we're just like, 
oh thanks like that guy was really nice he was really chill he was really cool you know we had a like you know conversation about where we're from and what we're doing there and um yeah he seemed like a nice guy so like we never really took it as that was racist we're just oh hey appreciate the ride man like good looking out so yeah gotcha so like that's just been my my whole experience with with like the race divide race culture yeah Uh, yeah yeah race that's why race is such a big deal to me and having conversations about here because of what i've experienced in rwanda and right and having those conversations of like here's two tribes of people that even though there's unrest a lot of the unrest is caused by a third party right it originated from belgium white belgians right. who came over and said you're better than them right yeah yeah and, yeah and then from there on out okay once once you say someone's better than somebody else then the and, other, and yeah. they get you know more political power they get more land more money whatever it is right. then that's where stuff starts you know going downhill but nick that's the craziest thing though like i didn't know that until recently <laughs> like i didn't like literally until i i had to sit myself down and do my own research on my country like mm. Being an eight-year-old, you we, you don't study. You're not being taught that. Yeah, you're not being taught that. You're not studying going in history. Like, there really wasn't a history class. Like, hey, you know, years ago before Rwanda gained its independence, whatever, whatever, this happened. That's Shoot, interesting. I didn't even know that a president, um, like, had been in power since my my parents were kids. Mm. I was like, forever. Yeah, forever. I was mm. like, I was like, wait, he was a dictator. Oh my gosh! I was I was part of a dictatorship. Hmm. I had no idea that was a, like. I just thought he was a president for like the longest time. Yeah. I was like, never really thought twice about it. You don't get into politics as a kid, mm-hmm. and so you you, and now looking back, you're like, oh wow, oh my goodness! So that did happen. So in the '60s, the Hutus and Tutsis, you know, the Tutsis got banished from 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 you know Rwanda. Oh my gosh! So like they, so they were ostracized, and you know there was another genocide before that, like where people got killed and sent out of the country. So, so I was like, wait, so this is a trend. I was like, this is history repeating itself because people haven't learned. And then I get to America and, you know, I'm still trying to learn. There's so many cultures in America. I'm, I'm still trying to learn two different types of history because, you know, there's the black American history and there's, and there's the American said history that you get taught in school, which is, you know, complete crazy because it's like, you're like, wait, when did that happen? Why there? Why does it seem like there's a gap missing somewhere? And so, um, so I'm I'm still trying to learn those two histories. And uh, so I'm like, wow, okay, now now I understand why certain things are the way they are. Now I understand why certain certain people, you know, see things the way that they see it because that's that's been experienced. Like me, you can't <clears throat> say. I guess I, I, I can't I can't call anybody racist like I just I just choose to call it ignorance because honestly it, it's I had to sit myself down once again and, and look up a term racist like somebody who is a, a racist is somebody who is proud of their race that's what the ist stands mm-hmm. for so if you're if you are the only time ist is negative is after race so you're you're you you play a piano. You're a pianist. You uh, play. You you're, you you work on teeth. You're a dentist. You do whatever else. You're you're um, an artist. But then put "ist" behind race, and then becomes negative. So why is I was right. like I was like wait, 
the English language, somebody needs to really, really, really. Yeah, English re- language is messed up. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting, though. Change it. Because yeah. it also, if, as soon as somebody says the word racist, like conversation's over. Right, conversation's over. And anything you say after that point is negative. Right. It's like, wait, no, but why is that? So, so like when somebody says, okay, well, racist, no, he's not a racist. He's an ignorant person who doesn't know anything about the culture that he hates. Because when you fear and are, are, not, are not knowledgeable on something, you will hate it. I hate math. I really hate math because I, <laughs> I don't understand it. And it's always been the hardest subject like growing up. So I literally just like, oh, I can't stand math. But so I was like, okay, well, in order for me to get to like math, I have to understand it, get to know it. You know, I still know how to count, but I'm just like, uh, world problems, not my problem, not doing it. But it, it was just like, you know, that's, that's just the whole meaning of the ist. That's just the whole meaning for racist for me. Like, it just, I can't call anybody racist because if they're truly proud of their, their race, yeah, then they are racist. It, they're not being negative by that. But when, it, it's hate that's ignorance hmm, so that's really interesting yeah to me there's so many lessons from <laughs> rwanda like when i go over there I right. mean, we haven't even touched on like the the level of forgiveness healing workshops mm, yeah genocide yeah. perpetrators that they took them to prison but prisons are too full and right. they have to have like community courts where they confess everything and then they ultimately some of these killers get to go ba- got to go back and live in their communities right the same, with the same widows who, you know, they were part of raping and killing their other family members, and they're living in the same neighborhoods, Wow, which is insane. It's absolutely right. insane. You can't wrap your mind around it here in America based on, like, kind of how our our justice system and criminal, all that kind of stuff plays out. Um, but, you know, going back to tribal issues and race, you know, Hutus and Tutsis are going to church together. Right. They're intermarrying. They're going to school together all leading up to the genocide. Right. So it's not like um, there's this buildup where everyone is just separated right. and we're apart from each other. We're doing life together. We're friends. You know, even be family members. Right. So here you go. You can be sitting in church with somebody the Sunday before who's completely, you know, in a different tribe, and that's not a big deal. But then all of a sudden... All of a sudden now it's... All of a sudden yeah. it is, and now that same church is being used to kill one right. of those groups of people and not safe anymore. And, you know, the conversations we have when we do some of our group stuff over here, talking about race and reconciliation and stuff, it's like, oh, well, that could never happen here in America. Maybe there won't be a genocide in America, but the way people treat race and ethnicity and people that are different than them and how they can't have a conversation and talk honestly about it, right? it's, it's a little scary. Yeah. Because we just say we're racist or no, that system's not set up to to hurt you know minorities that can't be you know slavery's out there's no issue anymore but there's mass incar- incarceration right there's way more black people going to prison and there's certain systems that are set up that i think if you don't open your eyes or have conversations about it, you don't know how it's affecting people and what's really going on when you really like like, like genocide doesn't like to me genocide yeah it, like the word genocide means a mass killing of you know over x amount of people right. um but really when you look at it it's like there there also could be like um, a, a deal genocide. There could be uh, a, a systemic genocide. Uh, the ideal genocide is every idea of, of healing that dies every day that people don't get to experience because people shoot it down. They're like, there, there's been so many ideas and so many dreams killed by 
the 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 people who don't want to make it happen because it's too difficult like talking about race race is difficult but when you don't talk about it it becomes even harder it's like when you don't communicate about something shoot i mean that's the same thing as in a marriage it's like if you don't communicate about something it that topic becomes harder and harder as time goes by so like race is, is, is like one of the things in america that when when it's addressed i feel like a lot of times it gets it's, it, it kind of gets schemed over because it gets to a point where it's uncomfortable and then people stop let me stop yeah. yeah and then you're like ah i can't go i can't go past that point because that's you know a little too deep that's a little too real because once once you learn something knowledge is responsibility and unfortunately like once you learn something you're forced to change like if if, if you if you were eating something and i use this example okay you're a smoker on a pack of cigarettes because I used to work at a gas station. I'll sit there, sit there and read the like the whole entire labels. All right, causes cancer and death, but people come and buy it every day with a warning label up front. Not once did I ever see somebody turn the thing around and actually read any of the ingredients that's in there, because it's a whole lot easier to get high of the nicotine than it is to take the responsibility and actually know what's what you're smoking. Because once you know what you're smoking and you don't change it, now you're the idiot. Now you look like a fool. Now you're the fool that's going around saying, I am freely giving myself cancer. I mean you are anyway, because you're smoking. But you're you're you don't want to change your way because you refuse to. So is once you know something you you are given the responsibility to change. If you don't change, then you're the fool. Nobody wants to be the fool. I'd rather not know something and have knowledge of it that exists, kind of like uh, what we're talking about trafficking. It's local, it's here. <clears throat> yeah. But it's a whole lot easier to say it's here and refuse to believe that it's really here. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it, man, I can't believe what's going on in California. No, it's right down the street. No, not in Savannah. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of doing this whole thing is just like, man, you know, if, if Quinn sees you walking down the street, you know, okay, it's cool. It's just, you know, black dude walking down the street right. who, you know, maybe we'll see him or talk sometime or something like that. And, and you've got no idea what this guy's story is and right. how insane yeah. it is. And, and same with Quinn, too. You know, it goes both ways. Right. It's just like 100%. You, you think something of him, but, man, you don't know what he has been struggling with and, like, how he's been neglected in his life and how that's caused him to be who he is and struggle with and, you know, to push – you, you made the line of like that uncomfortable we right. get to the point where it's uncomfortable and then because if we know something too much Be- now now we, can, we feel guilty about yeah. or have to do something right. about exactly. it exactly and that's the point of like we want somebody else to take care of it right instead of like man how can i engage in that in just a personal way right how can i find out what you're going through racially quinn how can i find out about what you were struggling with sometime when we talk about it? you know right. it's just go ahead man you're gonna say something Oh no no! You're okay, good. you're good. Sorry, I just brought you into that no, analogy I mean, like, there for a second. I, no, for real. Like I, I really honestly do think it's important though to be able to go past that pain point and 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 actually start owning up and taking responsibility. I I get it. Like I might I might not have caused X Y Z pain. Mm-hmm. I might not have done that to somebody, but now I know of their pain. It is my responsibility because I know now helping them move forward with that pain. But 
because we also have our own pains and we haven't dealt with them properly we don't want to take on any more pain anybody else's pain it's like Ooh, it, mm, you know what I really don't want to know about your past because if I know about your past I'm gonna be be sitting here talking about it for you know for whatever I got my own stuff I got going on like I really don't but I, but it's good to know that you recovered though it's good to know that yeah. you're getting help we're all hurt you know yeah. everyone's hurting away but a lot of times the problem is and I heard this line one time but hurt people end up hurting other people hundred oh, percent but if you know how you're hurt and realizing you're trying to do something about it you know hurt people can actually help other hurting people right. as opposed to hurting them. Right, yeah. And, and yeah. that's like, if I could break it down in the biggest biggest way, is that's why we hurt people, because we're hurting some way. Right, we, yeah, we're, we're hurting some way, and we don't, and we neglect other people. So neglect is painful, it's hurtful. Like, it's rejection at its, at its, at its like, I want to say highest point to me, because it's like, when you neglect something, you have knowledge of it, but you choose to neglect it mm-hmm. it's like i have a bunch of homework and paperwork that i gotta do and i i'd rather do something else though <laughs> so i'm neglect I'm, I'm 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 mentally aware that this pain exists but i choose to neglect it because so it's 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 not that i don't even want to know that it exists i know it exists so that's why like neglect and rejection are, are like two close cousins because it's, it's like if i reject you i don't even know anything about you but if I neglect you, is I know, at least to me, this is what it means. I know about you, but I choose not to engage with you. Mm. But rejection is like, mm, I don't want it. Yeah. Like, you don't even want to know nothing of it. Like, just get away from me. So it's like, mm, nah. Yeah. But when I'm neglecting something, it's, it's, it's there. I'm aware that it exists. It's in my peripheral, but it's just like, I'd rather look at that camera versus looking at the mic because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, to me, that's what neglect is. And so... When you say the neglected, it, it, it is so painful because it's like you see them, but you, you, you see that, you know, say, you know, in a homeless, you know, nature, it's like you see that they're homeless, you see that they're hurting, you see that they're hungry, but you're just like, I don't got time. So I'm just going to. Or what impact is it yeah, going to be? Or, or, yeah, or, or what impact is it going to be? Or I know Jerry's going to be back here tomorrow begging for money. Yeah. So you choose to just neglect that and just keep it going. Yeah, or someone else will take care of it. Right. They know right. where the homeless shelter is. They know where exactly. to get food. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I want to make sure we cover just a couple quick things before our time wraps up because we could I could talk to you all day. Um, but just I'm interested in kind of the military aspect of it. Okay. Um, you know, I don't have to go into, like, everything you've ever done or anything like that, but, but just kind of why you chose to go the military route, maybe what it taught you or – helped you or hurt you with as far as like your experience right. in Rwanda and then kind of what it did for you here in America was was any part of what you went through part of the reason you went in the military yeah. or was it just uh, kind yeah, of explain I, that I, it, it was looking back it, it, it was a little self-serving to be honest because it, it was you know being eight years old you're not able to do anything like you're you, you can't protect the ones you love you can't do nothing for nobody um, so for me to join the military was more of like I wanted to to do something about that. Yeah. What branch were you into? Where'd you enlist so, in? So I was in the Marine Corps and then I also went uh, into the Army. And okay. the reason why, like, I went to the Marine Corps, one, I was like, okay, I love the uniforms. Great <laughs> uniforms. The commercials are awesome. Like, dress blues, I want them. And, and you so, look good in them, by the way. I've hey, seen pictures. Thank you. Thank you. I tried. I, I think anybody, you, you put dress blues on anybody, is like they automatically become like, you know, they go from a five to a 20. <laughs> and so I was like, like, come on. And so, 
And I knew that the Marine Corps was like the hardest branch to get into. I knew that, you know, it was, you know, from from the history books that I've read of, you know, you know, of the Marine Corps, I was like, you know what, they're, you know, war fighters, I want to go to war. I want to fight. I want to be in the front lines. I want to be infantry. I want to I want to jump out of planes and 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 do all that crazy stuff, and so I did. I I, I was it because you were helpless and where you were before. Yeah, like like it it was just more of a like that kid that got bullied in you know in in school and then you know he grows up and is like I want to do something about it, mm-hmm. and so like that's kind of how I felt like. Like I never got a chance to protect my country. I never got a chance to protect my friends. I never got a chance to protect my own family. Mm-hmm. So now I'm given the chance. I want to do that because you know that was uh, that was in 2006. So 9/11 had already happened and all that was going on, uh, like the war on terrorism. So I joined the Marine Corps um, May of 2006, and then um, did a couple of deployments with the Marine Corps, uh, and then got out in 2010 and then I joined the army and then I got out of the army in 2016. Um, but so yeah, like the military for me was more of that, that consolation prize, like, okay, hey, you never got a chance to actually protect somebody, go ahead and go to another country that's, that's, that's hurting, that's getting vandalized by some other bad people and you get to, to do something about that. And, but I learned more about myself while I was in the military that, you know, I was like, that's that's not really. I was like, did I really do that for the right reasons? I was like, you know, I, like like you start questioning your own motives. The older you get, you're like, wait, did I really do that for the right reasons? But to me, at that time, that's that was my reason. Um, you know, and then you know, being in the military, you get to travel and you get to see other you know other countries and you get to see how you know other countries live, and you're just like, wow, that like it hit it hit too close to home. Mm. Like like there were days like. I was, you know, I was in Afghanistan and I was like, wow, like certain smells like were, were so like automatic. I was like, it would bring back memories. And it was just like, wow, I was like, I can't believe like I would see like an eight year old and see myself mm-hmm. like it, it was like that transparency of like, you know, you're you're on patrol. You see a hungry kid, you see a starving kid just like, you know, that's lost, you know, his whole entire family. But he's eight years old and he's got to run the house. And you look at him, you know, maybe the other people might have looked at him as, oh, he's just an Afghani kid. I was like, wow, that's you, Theo. That's you. Like, to me, that was like, and like, I, w- I would carry like extra candy and stuff, like, just to give to kids. Cause I was like, I was, I was so, like, my heart was like for the kids, man, because I was like, you don't deserve this. Like, you didn't ask for this. Like, but in retrospect, I was, I was trying to heal my, like, my inner child because, like, that's, that's who went through it. You know, older Theo didn't go through the war. Mm-hmm. You know, young Theo did. So, like, you know, every chance I got, I would, you know, I would, I would try to play with the kids. I would, um, I would get toys for the kids. I would like, like every chance I got. It, it, it wasn't many chances, but the little that I did get, like that was, you know, take pictures with the kids. Like, I don't, I don't know, like as as much little good things I could do for the kids. Because I remember whenever. We were in Rwanda, and we would see American soldiers, or we'll see like the French sol- soldiers. Like we were just like, oh my gosh, there's you know like foreign mm-hmm. soldiers, like you know like the UN is here, right. and like you know we, we like kind of like look at them like they were the big giants. And at some point, I was like, wow, that's me. I like I'm that giant that I used to see. So I was like, you know, and I remember how safe. Maybe it was a false sense of safety, but like how safe I'd feel anytime I would see like the UN helmets. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it was like that branding trigger, like, oh, UN safety. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. But like, I, like we, we will, we'll see him and we just get a sense of relief. Like, wow, okay, wow, like the UN is here. So like, I wanted to give that same feeling to any kid that was going through a hard time in Afghanistan or like some some kid that would look and be like, wow, the American troops are here. I'm safe. Dude, how yeah. cool is that to have somebody who survived a Rwandan genocide come over here and then serve in our Marines and protect our country after what he experienced over there. I mean, it's just insane, man. It's, yeah, it's amazing for sure. It's, it's crazy. For sure. Did you feel equal in uh, the military based on like race or ethnicity or was it? You know, it, because of just the way that I looked at race, for me it's you, um, because <laughs> in the Marine Corps, everybody gets treated the same. Mm -hmm. um, everybody hates you regardless. <laughs> your, your, your chain of command hates you regardless. Everybody's racist. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody's just like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And so, like, you know, you, you get what you work for, um, you know, in the military. Like, at, you know, at least for me, in, in, my, in my viewpoint, um, you don't get promoted just because you're cute. Like, you get promoted because you're, you're a hard worker. Like, I, I wasn't promoted that much because I, I, I sucked. I was, a, I was a terrible Marine. Like, I was, I was not the fastest. I wasn't like the like the most most athletic. I wasn't, you know, all that. And so, like, to me, I was just like, oh, I'm just glad to be on the bench. I'm just, I'm just glad to just play for the team, bro. Like, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad, you know, I'm just glad to be here. But you know, like the guys who excelled were, you know, like those guys who who literally put a lot of effort into it. Um, and you know, and for me, like my viewpoint of joining the Marine Corps was was completely different than mo maybe most guys. Most guys had you know family members like their dad and grandfather were you know former marines and they they fought in world war ii and and uh vietnam and they were like yeah i want to be just like my dad like for me i was the first family member in the military so i had no past previous knowledge of the military so like my whole thing was i'm just i'm just glad to be wearing the uniform bro mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm just here so i don't get fired and so and that honestly translated because i didn't really have a huge goal of of like advancing i was like promotion what's that like yeah. I, I really didn't know much about the military before I just wanted to just wear dress blues and I did <laughs> and 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 so it, it's not that I didn't have a work ethic because when you gave me a task I did it to the best of my ability but it just like my future vision wasn't really there until later on whenever I you know I joined the army I was like okay I know enough about the military because I had been in the Marine Corps for four years and I know enough about the military now that I got a family of my own I gotta work hard I gotta you know so like at that point, you know, I started to kind of see more of, of oh, okay, there, there might be is a race divide somewhere because it's like, you look at it, it's like, you know, it was a good old boy system. It was like, kind of like, okay, so certain people are getting promoted and certain people are not. Why is that? This person has this much time and grade and, they're, and they got a whole entire record of just great things, amazing things. But this dude just literally just showed up and he's getting promoted. Like his record ain't, ain't even that clean. I was like, so you kind of start to see a little bit of favoritism in it. Um, but when you honestly look down deep, it's, it's you know, you see what you want to see, unfortunately. And you see, but what's pre like presented, you also see, you, you're also like, okay, well, that guy's white. He's getting promoted faster than that guy. They're both in the same job. They're this guy's actually more athletic than he is. This guy's actually like got more work experience than he does. Oh, but you're saying because he was late to formation once, but this guy wasn't. Okay, come on. Like now you're just picking and choosing. So mm -hmm. 
like, like you kind of start to see that a lot. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's, uh, just want to kind of start wrapping down, but like where you are at now. So you're married. Right. American woman. American woman. Yeah. American woman. And so, um, and that's a different that's that's a different beast in itself. I don't even know where to attack that right now. That's, that's <laughs> a whole that's a whole that's other a thing. But just like there's itself. a lot of different experiences yeah. that you've been through that she's been through. Right. People just walk, you know, again, see the both of you and be like, oh, there's two oh, black yeah. black people and yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Happily ever after. But right. you know, man, yeah, a lot it, of different I, life experiences I mean, it, there. It, it is it's definitely been 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 a been a crazy ride. Man, I've been married for ten years. I got married in two thousand nine. And you know, just the difference in culture differences um, and just past history experiences, just understanding. It's like we literally had to have so many come to Jesus moments because it's like, listen, I was like, this is this is what my mindset is. Like I'm I'm the immigrant. Like so, like my mindset is work, 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 work. Like you know, provide, provide, provide. Like you know, and her thing is you know, hey, quality time, this mm-hmm. and that. I was like. I was like, I'm not used to that. Yeah. I'm used to literally just work, 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 work. And like, I'm used to just a, a completely different, you know, even just my parents, like just the way I was raised, it, you know, I was raised in a fully running household. So my understanding of marriage is seeing it from, from their perspective and their point of view. Um, and like, you know, in a biblical point of view, but it, it's like you, you get more of the culture than you get more of the biblical. So like, you know, it what it wasn't a bad experience. It was a great experience, and so it's like, oh, okay. Well, my mom wasn't American, was not an American. My dad wasn't American, so I'm not gonna have the same experience because I married the same, you know, or I married, um, you know, I'm, you know, an American woman. So yeah, th- so like that's been that's been difficult from time to time to adjust to. But like, and then you throw in just the difficulty of marriage <laughs> as a whole. It's just been like just a cluster. But we're you know going through counseling talking about it just like honestly like marriage counseling helps because you get to see two different perspectives and you get to once you will once you're willing to understand it then you make it work yeah you're so, working on it man. yeah so like so everything's always a work in progress everything's always a work in progress so yeah that's good man and then um uh like you said uh, i'm a barber now so yeah I guess. work 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 let's <laughs> talk work, about yeah. your work man what? so um, got out of the military in 2016 and then went to barbering school and um, got my license uh, work work here locally in town um, so that so that's been amazing got to meet you know I get to meet a lot of different people um, got to give you a haircut I, I, I still got the money that you paid that going to the money that you got I literally keep that in the ziploc bag <laughs> <laughs> and I, I paid you with Rwandan money. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It, it was like, it was actually a couple of weeks after you you all came back from uh, Rwanda, so like that was pretty awesome. And it was probably uh, only like two dollars or something. Probably was, but it was <laughs> it, it, it was the biggest it was the biggest pay, paycheck I've ever got because that to me because like I went home and showed my parents. My parents almost cried because it was like you know we ain't seen that. Yeah, we ain't seen that in twenty some odd years. And so um, yeah, so like like that like that was amazing. Like to be able to um, to help people to honestly like to me cutting hair is more than just a haircut there, there's just so much more to it like you get to transform somebody's day you get to transform somebody's life like I get so so many people that come in they're not feeling their best they get a haircut they walk out somebody new like it, it, it's it, it's amazing to see for me it's it, it's that instant gratification thing it's like wow it's like you got a chance to impact somebody's life somebody's whole day 
Um, and you're so, doing a lot of different kind of people's hair too. Yeah, man. it's not just yeah. like you're just not in the hood doing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's all. I'm, I'm literally doing like kids, women, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, black, white, whatever. Um, and but that, but it's not even the haircut, but the conversations that I get to have with people in my yeah. share, like those are amazing. Like I learn so much on a daily basis. Like, and and honestly, that's why I created that podcast, Beyond the Clippers, because I wanted people to tell their story, kind of like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I wanted my clients to be able to have a platform to share their stories because I'm like, yo, like, does anybody else know this story? Right. No, you're right. just, I was like, why don't you tell it? I just never thought anybody else would want to hear it. I was like, that's an amazing story. You should be telling it. I never really got a chance. And, and where do I start? I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm creating a podcast. So I was like, yeah. so I've literally had uh, a couple of my um, couple of my clients on a podcast, and and yeah, so like it's like they've got a chance to share to share their stories. So he's the only person that I've let cut my hair in yeah. probably the past ten or twelve years. I do my own. Yeah, I do my own as well. So I yeah. mean, that's cool. I'm only letting I'm only letting a Rwandan touch my hair. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> and, and he did a good job, but it's like, man, I I don't let anybody else touch it, and, and awesome. he's the. He's the one that I trust, and yeah. So let's let's talk about how people can kind of uh, hit you up, just like where if uh, they want to get a hair, because you're good, man. I mean, I'm not gonna just yeah, plug blow sunshine shop. up your oh okay. Well, hey, um, the you shop know, that's uh, New Impressions in Pooler, Georgia. Um, if you're in the area, come and see me. I go by the Smiling Barber, Theo the Smiling Barber. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's Theo underscore the smiling barber. Yeah. We'll put that up on the screen for Please sure. Do so, yeah. you know, um, and, and the crazy thing about that is, um, the reason why, okay. So the reason why I went with the whole smiling barber aspect of it is everything that I've been through in life has, has somebody would be like, wow, you should be depressed, like completely just depressed. And I'm just like, no, I refuse to like, for me, it's, it's naturally to just smile. Like, because when you smile, like you, you force your body to be okay. You force your mind and your body to literally take a different perspective of life. So like to me, that's why I, I go by the smiling barber because I was like, I refuse for somebody to, to walk in and, and for me to be selfish enough to let my day affect their day or vice versa. Like when you come in and see me, I don't want you to leave feeling depressed. <laughs> like I'd, I'd rather you leave with a messed up haircut and a great attitude, then which you won't leave with a messed up haircut, but like I, I would rather that happen um, than 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 you leave down and depressed. So um, hey, you know, hashtag the smiling barber, like that's been my 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 little life story for like the last couple of years that I've been cutting hair professionally. Um, so yeah, that's that's my smiling barber story, and I'm sticking to it. I like it. It's kind of we always in the in the podcast and asking kind of question about what people can do even like you personally right. what can you do what do you, what do you want to do and you know you've shared a lot of ways that you've felt neglect or been neglected or been through horrible right situations and had a chance to tell your story and stuff like that but you know what what can what can somebody do honestly start having the conversations S start stopping at that point where it hurts and start going further past that point and have those uncomfortable conversations because you will find that the the point where you thought it was it, it was like the hurt point it isn't the hurt point that's the i call that the discovery point because that's really when you start mm -hmm. knowing the person is like if i ask you just for your name okay that's cool but like let me ask you about how your day was let me ask you about how your life has been then that's the point where i really get to know you that's the point i really get 
get to discover that you and I are no different. So it, it, it's it's stop just going on the surface and start getting deeper into conversations with people. Stop just yeah. And 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 I I would encourage somebody to talk to three people a day who they wouldn't really talk to, uh, whether it be you know online or, or or just face to face. Like just if you see somebody who you say you know what in another different life I would have never seen you me and you hanging out but I want to know your story because when you honestly know you somebody else's story you can't not love them like for real like unless you're just a super judgy individual um, which you know once somebody knows your story they might not like you too but why wouldn't you want to know somebody else's story because mm -hmm. once you know somebody else's story then you know how to approach them you know how to communicate to them you know how to like to respond to what they need so yeah get to know people's stories sweet man yeah it's good advice this episode uh was this four or five i don't know dude it might be number one we might be putting and, this uh, the first one <laughs> you know he's every, rwandan he's going first baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah. every uh every every guest so far you know whenever we ask what we can do that's the that's the answer they give you know have the conversations yeah because i mean honestly like everything starts with a conversation like had me and nick never really had a conversation if you never stalked me right yeah if i never stalked him online <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know I, I i i honestly i would have never never got to be able to be here i never really got a you know would have never got a chance to cut his hair i would have never got a chance to even talk to him um so yes yeah, have that conversation start a conversation just just start like the fear of people getting rejected like oh they're not gonna like me it's like well they probably didn't like you anyway so what's the point like just yeah. go ahead and at least start at least extend your hand out and say hi yeah, and sure. then from there figure out where you want to go you can say hi and bye at the same time say hey nice to meet you my name is so-and-so glad to meet you <clears throat> all right have a great day just just that alone would make somebody's day because there's people who go through the whole entire day and not talk to anybody mm -hmm. and you could be that person that shakes their hand and says hey how you doing they've never been they haven't been asked that all day the fact that you asked them that could change their whole entire trajectory of their life because they might be depressed they might be going through something that day might be the day that they, that they had decided to commit suicide but the moment that you say hey how you doing how's everything going you just might have just saved a life so to me it's worth saying hi to somebody yeah and you know we're filming this in a church right now especially people that from the church believe certain things a higher power man like this is your responsibility, I believe, right. too. It's like there might be some people that can't do it, but I believe, you know, people at church, like that's that's our responsibility. It's like to go beyond what's what's comfortable. Right. See the pain that's out there. See how people are being neglected and and do something. And that do something isn't like set up this huge program or system to stop injustice necessarily. It's right. you getting close to someone that's experienced something different, understand where they're, they've been hurt, where their pain is, or just understanding where they come from because you're not around those right. type of people that often and you get a bunch of people that do that it's going to change things it, it's, it's got to come from things. the ground up not from right. like expecting it to happen top down so yeah. and if you're not part of the, the solution you're part of the problem come on now. to be honest i mean i mean like for real like you're in a church setting or or are you are you going to church and that's all you're doing just going to church that's cool that's you know that's for your own self-righteousness and that's for your own self-dignity but like the, the minute you step outside of yourself and actually go help somebody, the minute you actually see the pain point for people, the minute you look around your church congregation and you see that so-and-so isn't here with their child because their child is sick or their child is somewhere or so-and-so is not here with their spouse because their spouse is sick or 
they just went through a huge divorce and but you're you're so caught up in 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 everything else extracurricular that you don't take the time to say hey how can i help you how can i serve you you're 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 neglecting your own church members unintentionally unfortunately but because you're not paying attention the minute you 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 look up and you start looking around and you start seeing people who who are wearing who have been wearing the same outfit for the last 3 three services pay attention to that the the you know the kids who 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 are always hanging around the snacks because they're not getting enough to eat at the house the you know the mom that walks in with five or or, or, or six kids and 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 they're and she's just just trying to get by the you know that guy that that walks in by himself and leaves by himself every Sunday that's that's your mission that's your calling don't neglect them because you're just like oh well they're here the pastor's gonna get it no you're you saw it <laughs> now you have to do something about it don't be afraid of that responsibility of actually going out and helping somebody so yeah there he is man cool. he's good he's theo he's the smiling barber <laughs> theo underscore the smiling barber yes, sir. on uh, instagram social media he's starting a podcast beyond the clippers so we'll, we'll get all that information up and thank you thank so you people thank can follow him listen to him and get a haircut from him. i mean it's, yes it's quite the trifecta yeah. there hey hey you get everything a conversation and a haircut what more can you ask for what more can you <laughs> <laughs> so man i appreciate you appreciate your friendship appreciate you hey you know what no, you can you look know, it up later no no, no no you're welcome nick you, you are welcome <laughs> you are welcome the dynamics of he can speak running i understand running i can respond back in english for some of you guys that need a need a translator nick he just said thank you very much and i just said you're welcome nick so yeah there you go i'll, I'll, I'll play that role what a <laughs> Appreciate you. Thank you, Quinn. Yeah, no Thank you, City Church, for hosting. Check out our show, For the Neglected. It's at For the Neglected. I'm at Schulte Time. And uh, catch you next week. Peace out, man. <laughs>